Chapter Seven of Thou Art the Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Thou Art the Man by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter Seven. Urquhart considers himself ill-used that suggestion of a possible marriage had stirred the waters of mara in brandon mountford's memory in every man's mind there is some mara pool which needs but a breath to disturb its bitter waters with him the pool lay still and deep yet he had an ever-present consciousness that it was there a silent sorrow which made his life different from the lives of other young men the fear of hereditary madness was the shadow that wrapped him round and set him apart from men of his own age and circumstances and hemmed him in with considerations which but rarely block a young man's pathway he looked back to-night in the solitude of his bedroom at ellerslie with the casements flung open to the soft spring night and with all the waste of dark waters stretching far away to the distant silvery line that marked the horizon touched with starlight he looked back as he often looked and remembered his solitary childhood with his father's mother old mrs mountford widow of general mountford who had fought in arthur wellesley's indian campaign he remembered that sad childhood his father away in india a captain of engineers under sir robert napier his grandmother a gloomy woman evangelical with pinched means and a bitter sense of disappointment in her only son despondent alike of the here and the hereafter he remembered how and when he was between fourteen and fifteen he had been sent from wellington college to a house at highgate to see his dying mother the mother whose face he had never looked upon within his memory a lucid or semi-lucid interval had marked the ebbing away of life and she had entreated to see her son her baby as she called him piteously the tall lad stood beside her bed holding her wasted hand in his looking down at her with tearful eyes and her first impulse had been to repudiate him who is this great boy she asked mine was a little baby the nurse tried to explain to her but she did not listen to the explanation she was looking at the boy's face and 
that told her more than anything the nurse could say about the years that had gone the changes made by time yes yes you are my boy she cried you have your father's eyes where is he where is my husband why doesn't he come to me he is very unkind everybody is unkind the lad stayed at the doctor's house until all was over and saw much of his mother in those last few days those weary closing hours of life during which her mind was clearer than it had been in all the melancholy years since her son's birth from doctor and nurses the son heard the history of those years of seclusion her delusions her fancies the gleams of reason the intervals of utter darkness he saw the rooms in which she had lived brightly furnished homelike comfortable even to luxury and he understood how the absent husband had cared for his helpless wife shirking no outlay that could ensure her well-being he walked in the garden where she had walked a spacious old-fashioned garden where the trees and shrubs and holly hedges had been growing for more than a century and from which he could see the great city veiled in its smoke curtain vague formless monstrous he had walked there full of melancholy thoughts the poor mother all his life long a prisoner within those narrow bounds no not quite a prisoner she had been allowed carriage airings whenever her condition permitted her to being taken out of doors carriage airings in the custody of a madhouse nurse she had been no better off than a state prisoner at best years afterwards when he saw the rocky island of st marguerite and the fortress in which the masked prisoner endured long years of silent solitude his thoughts went back to the sitting-room at highgate and the sunny garden above the great smoke-bound city those few days at highgate made a crisis in brandon mountford's youth he went back to wellington an altered being and masters and boys were alike struck with the change which his mother's death had made in him it was odd that he should take his loss so deeply to heart they said since he had seen so very little of his mother a confirmed invalid over brandon's life henceforth there brooded the shadow of a dark fate he had talked to the doctor at highgate and had pressed him closely upon the question of hereditary lunacy had inquired into the nature of his mother's malady and had discovered that the mental flaw had first showed itself in the form of epilepsy from which she had suffered as a young girl but having 
as it was supposed entirely outlived the tendency to that terrible disease she and her parents had kept that dark experience of her girlhood a secret from her husband and his family an offence which old mrs mountford had never forgiven over him too hung that horror of possible epilepsy he brooded on this possibility and magnified its terrors as only youthful imagination can he thought of himself as a creature apart from his fellows marked with the signs of a revolting disease when the fifth chapter of the second book of kings was read he compared himself with naaman the leper but alas the age of miraculous cures was past there was no river in which he could wash and be free from the tendency that was in his blood the ghastly heritage from his dead mother he exaggerated all his boyish ailments saw in every headache an omen of impending evil it may have been by reason of these gloomy thoughts or it may have been because his fears were rightly grounded and that the fatal tendency was latent in his constitution that the dreaded evil happened he was nearly eighteen years of age when the first attack occurred the foul fiend of epilepsy seized upon him one evening in the school chapel rent and tore him and left him shattered and weakened with a dull despair in his heart henceforth he knew himself doomed one after another these horrible convulsive seizures would tear at brain and body until reason would be wrecked in the struggle and madness would close the scene as it had been with his mother so it would be with him he gave up all idea of the army he went to cambridge worked hard there and in his three years of university life had only that milder form of epileptic seizure which french physicians call le petit mal in contradistinction to the severe and convulsive type or le grand mal sometimes in his rooms with his books open before him or on the river the skulls in his hands moving slowly with measured beat there would be a sudden lapse of consciousness he would go on rowing perhaps with a mechanical motion or the skulls would cease to work and the boat would drift with the stream for a little way the man sitting there lost to the world around him knowing nothing till the slow awakening as from a trance with the knowledge that he had lost himself that in those few minutes reason and memory had gone the consciousness of this malady darkened those days which should have been full of pleasantness but he managed to take a very creditable degree to the delight of his father who enjoyed a year's furlough in his son's society travelling through france 
and italy at brindisi father and son parted on board a p and o steamer parted never to meet again on earth for within a few months of his return to india major mountford died of jungle fever and brandon was lord of himself and of his small estate the first use he made of his independence was to shake off the trammels of civilization and to set his face toward the wilderness his cambridge doctor had told him that the best chance of warding off future attacks and of outgrowing his malady would be found in a free adventurous life sport travel under god's sky much learning was a thing for him to avoid nor would he be wise in going to the bar or in taking up medicine as a profession he stayed at cambridge and worked for his degree only to gratify his father he had no ambition of his own in association with the civilized world if he was to go through life torn by devils let the tormentors come upon him in the desert where there would be none to see him in his agony or at least no one whose scornful pity could smite him to the quick his life in the wilderness had been on the whole a happy life his love of sport and adventure had grown and strengthened with the growth of his skill as a marksman and his acumen as an explorer not often had his hereditary malady overtaken him in the midst of his wanderings but he had not been altogether free from such visitations and he knew that the tendency was still unconquered an enemy kept at bay for the most part but not beaten what assurance had he that epilepsy might not sooner or later develop into dementia as in the case of his mother sir joseph had not even hinted at his idea of mountford as a husband for marie so there had been no harm done the old man told himself as he reflected upon last night's conversation with his guest while he took his morning walk on the terrace before the nine o'clock breakfast brandon had started for the river some hours before having risen at dawn but he and the keeper had gone down to the stream alone urquhart pleading a headache as a reason for staying indoors marie arnold appeared on the terrace looking bright and fresh in her pink cotton frock and black silk apron soon after eight and joined sir joseph in his walk a long letter from sibyl said the old man she is coming back early next week her cough has quite gone and she is pining for home you'll be glad to have her back again won't you marie ah very glad ellerslie is not ellerslie without her and about this time next year she will be getting herself ready for the first may drawing-room and then good-bye ellerslie and 
Good-bye, girlhood, said Sir Joseph with a sigh. She will be swallowed up alive in the fashionable whirlpool, and you and I will lose our hold upon her. I am not afraid of that, Sir Joseph. I don't think anything in the world can do will ever change her. Well, perhaps you are right. Her mother passed through the ordeal unchanged. She was in the world, but never of it. She was like that young woman old John Evelyn was so fond of, who went dancing to the fiery furnace of court life, play-acting and singing and waiting upon the queen and talking to the king in a society where half the women were unmentionable and remained a saint to the last ah me sweet mrs godolphin died in the bloom of her youth and beauty like my dear wife well marie we must reconcile ourselves to the inevitable sibyl's schoolroom days are over and you are no longer a young girl you must marry my dear we must find a good husband for you please don't anticipate fate sir joseph said marie with a nervous laugh and a vivid blush if providence means me to marry the husband will appear in due time and in the meanwhile i shall be quite content to live my own quiet life here with old mrs morrison while you and sibyl are in london and you will not think yourself hardly used you won't think it hard that sibyl should have all the pleasures the great world can give while you are buried in this dull country home what right have i to envy sibyl her life i ought to feel nothing but gratitude for your goodness to my mother and me if you had made me a servant i ought to have been contented oh, don't marie don't you pain me when you talk like that i want you to be happy independent assured of a bright future i want you to feel that you have a claim upon me a strong claim that you are as much to me as an orphan niece could be more than a niece almost as much as a daughter added sir joseph his eyes dim with tears you are all goodness to me i have had more affection from you than i ever had from my mother and sibyl has been all a sister could be do you think i am going to complain because it, her loss is cast in the great world and mine out of it you are a good girl and your lot may be happier than hers perhaps who can tell life went on very quietly at ellerslie after this conversation between sir joseph and his adopted daughter but that idea of finding a husband for marie arnold was still uppermost 
in his mind and he was startled when hubert arkhart came to him in his study two days later and avowed his affection for miss arnold an affection which he only waited sir joseph's consent to declare to the young lady what have you said nothing to marie about your feelings asked sir joseph nothing definite i may have hinted at the state of the case it is hardly possible for me to be in her society and not to let her see that i adore her and how has she taken your hints or your adoration she is an enigma to me sir joseph yet i can but think if i had your approval if you showed yourself really in favour of our marriage she would not look unkindly upon me oh you think she would not object if i urged your suit well mr urquhart i'll be frank with you and confess that you are about the last man i would choose as a husband for my adopted daughter i may as well call her my adopted daughter for i have all a father's affection for her i am assured of that sir joseph said urquhart but i am at a loss to understand your objection to me as a match for a young lady who i am informed is the daughter of a mechanic and who therefore would make some advance in the social scale if she became the wife of an earl's younger son kind hearts are more than coronets said mr urquhart your lineage is unobjectionable but i cannot say as much for your character or antecedents i may have gone the pace a little admitted urquhart but i have sown my wild oats it's not your wild oats i'm thinking about so much as the character of the sower answered sir joseph gravely i've heard stories of your unkindness and neglect as a husband mr urquhart and forgive me if i say that you have not a good character from your last place i have been told that your wife died of a broken heart then you have been told lies sir joseph society seldom forgives a man who marries out of its ranks i married a country parson's penniless daughter and any unhappiness there may have been in her life was the result of circumstances over which i had no control were i to marry your adopted daughter i conclude you would make a settlement which would secure her from the pinch of poverty and which might help me carve out a career for myself either in politics or at the bar i would do much for a man she could love and whom i could trust replied sir joseph gravely 
no question of money should stand between her and happiness but to be frank with you once more you are by no means the man i would choose i understand said urquhart pale with anger yet trying to be courteous you have made your choice already perhaps mr mountford is the man you would prefer mr mountford is out of the question he is a bachelor by inclination and his bent upon a roving life in south africa perhaps sir joseph after your frank depreciation of my character i had better pack my portmanteau and leave the salmon to more favoured anglers i have no right to inflict an unwelcome guest upon your family circle don't talk nonsense man i may object to you as a husband for an impulsive inexperienced girl but that's no reason why i should turn you out of doors stop as long as you like only give marie no more hints of your adoration i have an idea that she is tolerably heart whole so far as you are concerned urquhart did not order the packing of his portmanteau the salmon river was very attractive at this season and it would not have suited his plans to leave ellerslie above all to leave brandon mountfort master of the situation for let sir joseph say what he would urquhart thought that mountfort's pretensions would be favoured mountfort's family was as good as his urquhart's and mountfort's antecedents offered no ugly blots to the inquiring eye he had done well at the university he had never made himself notorious by riotous living or debt he had won renown as a fine shot and a sagacious explorer and had published a record of his travels which had been praised by the critics and appreciated by the public in such a man as this urquhart saw a dangerous rival he saw too that marie was interested in mountfort and that it needed but some show of sympathy on his part to win her heart here however he was puzzled mountfort seemed careless of charms which kindled urquhart's warmest feelings was this coldness simulated the mask of some deep design or was the man really indifferent urquhart watched him closely and could surprise no touch of tenderness amidst his unvarying courtesy yet his own natural bent towards dissimulation inclined him to believe that mountfort was masking his batteries there are some women who care only for the unattainable and it might be that marie thought all the more of mountfort because she had been unable to subjugate him urquhart had tried the other plan and had failed ignominiously 
Mountford had been nearly three weeks at Ellerslie, and seemed to have interwoven himself into the family life. Sir Joseph had taken a cordial liking for him, and it was the old man's hearty kindness which induced him to protract his visit much beyond his original intention i don't know what we shall do without you when you leave us said sir joseph we shall miss him sadly when he goes shan't we marie he did not see marie arnold's blush as she bent over the newspaper she had been reading and he thought her answer was cold and careless and then he remembered brandon's determination to remain unmarried a resolve that was perhaps over scrupulous since his mother's malady might have bequeathed no fatal taint to him and he thought it a merciful dispensation that marie arnold should be careless and indifferent it was after seven o'clock when mountford came home that evening he had been for a lonely ramble over the moor glad to escape from urquhart's society even at the sacrifice of sport urquhart's conversation was the essence of worldly wisdom of the streets streety and a man who has spent his happiest years in the solitary places of the earth and has communed with god and nature under tropical stars does not much find salt or savour in the gossip of clubs or in the intrigues and money troubles of men about town i never knew such a fellow for not being interested in things that interest other men said urquhart discontentedly when one of his choicest anecdotes had fallen flat i don't believe you even care for the turf not a jot answered brandon i admire a racehorse because he is the perfection of blood and speed not because he can win a cup uh, your indifference makes you very bad company grumbled urquhart we can't all shoot lions today brandon had bathed his brain and senses in solitude and he felt all the better for the long ramble and the wild bleak country he had seen Calander castle afar off tall and grey above the ridge of the moor and he had wondered idly whether he would ever see it nearer and what kind of man its owner urquhart's eldest brother might be and now in the fading light he walked up the hill and by the winding shrubberied road that led to ellerslie house a carriage was driving a little way in front of him as he passed the lodge gate it disappeared at the first 
turn of the road, and he thought no more of it, until he saw it standing before the porch, while a footman busied himself in carrying various articles of luggage, handbags, books, umbrellas, and such small deer, into the hall. From the hall came a sound of voices, and Sir Joseph's strong baritone, and a girlish voice which was like music, so low and sweetly toned. Could it be the daughter of the house? Brandon went into the hall feeling shyer than he had ever been in his life before. In those last days of confidential intercourse in Italy, when the father and son had talked together as man and man, Major Mountford had told his son that pathetic story of a hopeless love, struggled against valiantly and never revealed. The thought that he was going to see the daughter of the woman his father had loved thrilled him strangely. He had been told that Sybil was like her mother, and it was with a feeling almost of awe that he approached the girl of eighteen. He remembered an old photograph, gray and faded, a poor little photograph taken on the beach at Bognor by an itinerant photographer the portrait of a girl in a broad-brimmed hat and an old-fashioned frock but with oh so sweet and delicate a countenance features so refined in their chiselling such lovely lines of chin and throat and such a slender graceful figure his father had taken that poor little photograph from his dispatch box it was on glass and it had accompanied him all over india without coming to grief and from the shadowland of death and vanished years the young face had looked at brandon dimly like a ghost yes there were the same features the same gracious lines the same soft depth in the dark gray eyes that were looking at him now hello mountford cried sir joseph gaily the master of the house has come home no more lax behaviour now we shall have our mind to our manners come and be introduced to my tyrant sibyl held out her hand in the frankest friendliest way i am ever so much obliged to you for helping to keep father in good spirits she said. End of chapter 7